Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, this is Jason Bond from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Just a brief introduction, I recorded a podcast for the Weeds Are Wild podcast with Tom Barber with the University of Arkansas and then Charlie Cahoon, and Charlie works for NC State. And we talked a lot about ryegrass, and so Tom was gracious enough to send me the file of that audio. So I'm going to jump off here, and then it will be the content that appeared on the Weeds Are Wild podcast, which uh, I think they released last week. So I hope you all enjoy it, and I think it had a lot of good content about ryegrass that's really relevant to the time of year that we are now. Hello and welcome to the Weeds Are Wild podcast series as a part of Arkansas Row Crops Radio. This is Tom Barber, Extension Weed Scientist with the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Uh, I believe this is episode 19 of our Weeds Are Wild podcast for 2023. And today the topic that we're going to tackle is Italian ryegrass management. Uh, This topic has become a really important topic and a really hot topic over the last two or three years, especially in Arkansas. Uh, And I've asked two extension weed specialists to join me today, two excellent extension weed specialist colleagues of mine, Dr. Jason Bond from Mississippi State. Jason, how are we doing this morning? I'm good, Tom. Good to see you, man. Licking your wounds from that tough. uh, Actually, both the teams that I root for in football lost pretty big this weekend. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm depressed, I guess. Well, (laughs) you're you're not new at it. How about that? That's right. I'm used to it. So we're good. No, no. We're good. If you're We're an Alabama good. fan, that would be something completely new for you. <laughs> That's right. All right. And the other one is Dr. Charlie Cahoon from North Carolina State University. Charlie, thank you for joining us this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And y'all are welcome to start rooting for the Wolfpack and, and really get welcome to the world of mediocrity. <laughs> We're used to it as Hog fans. Uh, you know, Jason, I still tell everybody that I was sitting in the stands the the, the day that we got beat by the Citadel. So I don't think uh, it's got quite that bad yet, maybe. Hold <laughs> on. But No, that was the bottom of the barrel right there, man. <laughs> That's right. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking time to visit with us this morning on our podcast. And I know both of y'all joined us in Little Rock last January uh, discussing ryegrass management at the Arkansas Crop Management Conference. And we really appreciated y'all doing that. Uh, Got a lot of positive feedback for y'all coming over. So I'm sure there will be future uh, opportunities if you just like, you know, traveling to Little Rock in the dead of winter. Uh, we've got some beautiful scenery around here at that time, so I'm sure we'd love to have you back uh, to come to that meeting. That was uh, really good. appreciate y'all joining me there. Uh, so just to kick off this topic, uh, you know, when we look back at that presentation, and I look back at the slides this morning just to refresh my memory, but Charlie, you kind of started it started it off, and you talked a little bit about paraquat resistance and the resistant issues you were seeing in North Carolina with Italian ryegrass. Can you kind of give us a little update on that, please? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll kind of briefly go back to the beginning. A lot of our issues stem from the part of the state that we plant a lot of winter small grains. And we uh, selected for ALS-resistant ryegrass, ACCA-resistant ryegrass with whole resistance. And then we uh, 
selected for glyphosate resistance in our burn down applications. And that was probably 10, 15 years ago. And then here, a couple of years back in the fall of 2020, we got alerted to a field where a grower had gone out in the fall in October with, with some really beautiful weather uh, for a fall application of a herbicide with some paraquat. And he missed some really small ryegrass uh, with paraquat. And so we started investigating, digging into that issue uh, with Wes and I here at NC State. And we confirmed that we have paraquat resistant ryegrass and one biotype in particular survived a 32X rate of paraquat, you know, at about four inch ryegrass. So that's 1,024 fluid ounces of paraquat um, and, you know, didn't even touch it really, burn up the tips of the leaves. And that's about it in the greenhouse where we typically have, you know, phenomenal control compared to um, outside of the greenhouse. And so the even bigger issue than that is we have that history of ALS and ACCH resistance. We got glyphosate resistance 10, 15 years ago. And now we have some biotypes that are three and four ray resistance. So paraquat, glyphosate, ALS, and ACCase. Um, so we are dealing with some biotypes that we really have no option for post-emergence control on now. Wow. So how, how widespread do you think, do you feel that is across your state, Charlie? So thankfully the, the paraquat resistance seems to be fairly confined uh, to the Southern Piedmont. So uh, if you look at North Carolina and you're familiar with North Carolina around Charlotte, the, the counties that kind of are on the Eastern side of Charlotte, uh, Southeastern side of Charlotte, those are where we have um, this four-way resistant biotype. We have, widespread glyphosate resistance across the state, but we have not seen the paraquat resistance in the eastern part of the state. Um, so thankfully, it seems fairly contained. Um, but for those guys in that that southern Piedmont, it, it has become their number one weed issue. And, and they have some, you know, problems with Palmer pigweed, but it's really risen to the top of the board in terms of management. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dr. Bond, what about Mississippi? What kind of resistant issues are, are popping up there? I know you've mentioned clethodem resistance pretty recently. Yeah, you know, so we're, I guess, the founder of the feast on the ryegrass resistance in our part of the country. I guess the ALS resistance goes all the way back to the 90s, and that was actually, Tom, I can't even remember. It was a roadside herbicide is what is listed, I guess, what those populations were screened against. And then hold on for sure widespread hold-on resistance, and I really don't have a concept of how widespread it is, uh, but but that's definitely would be an issue, you know, with that family of herbicides, so that would hold on naturally, but then Fusilade and, and Assure and the other products that have Quisalifop, and so then I, whatever year it was, 04, 05 was when we discovered the glyphosate resistance, so that was right before I got here, and pretty much been dealing with it ever since. Most of ours, I would say, is glyphosate resistant and holon resistant. A smaller percentage of it would be glyphosate, ALS, and holon resistant. Probably depends on where you're standing in the state. You know, the northwest quarter of Mississippi is Delta, alluvial floodplain. So, a lot of multiple resistance there. You go to some of the other bigger crop production areas in the state and you might not see as much multiple resistance, but 
they give the examples of PowerFlex and Osprey, which were two wheat herbicides were both commercialized about the same time. We'd never used either of those to any great extent for ryegrass control. Great herbicides, but our ryegrass, it was already out of the barn uh, by the time those were introduced to the market. So we've never relied on those really to manage our ryegrass. There's some axial resistance. So that's the, the third family of ACCase inhibitors. If you count the the FOPs and the DIMS, which is clethodim, uh, the main ACCase that we've used for ryegrass control over the years. And then uh, panoxidin is the active in uh, axial. And so we have some of that too. To my knowledge, that's limited, kind of extreme Northwest Mississippi is where that's located. But we haven't had enough wheat in the past 10 or 12 years to really get a, a, a good handle on how our populations respond to the wheat herbicides. Yeah, and we still have a smattering of wheat uh, here and there in in Arkansas. And I and I agree with your comment there on the on the axial. I think it has become more hit or miss in a lot of fields uh, where we're using it to control ryegrass and wheat. And I think for Arkansas, it pretty much echoes what y'all are seeing. Just a little delayed, probably in in from Mississippi. There, Jason. I mean, we've obviously the glyphosate is widespread. Uh, the holon resistance I worked on 20 years ago in graduate school or 20 plus years ago. Now, yeah, it's longer than that, dude. <laughs> yeah, we're getting old. But, uh, you know, the ALS for us is puzzling because we'll have it in some areas and in some areas they're still able to control it with, you know, rim sulfuron or the steadfast Q or something like that if they're trying to, you know, spray it in the winter or whatever ahead of corn. And so I don't know. It's uh it's just scattered on our ALS. I'd say we're probably 50-50 on that. Our clethodum resistance though is for the most part uh confined to southern Arkansas uh and just across the river from you there, Jason. But but uh it is pretty highly resistant in that area. We're not doing much good with clethodum in some of those fields. And so, you know, really, and I know this is a long time recommendation back in the Dan Poston days and maybe earlier than that, Jason, I'm not sure in, in Mississippi, but residuals have for sure become our number one method to control this and number one recommendation, I guess. And so, you know, when we talk about residuals and putting them out in the fall, we, we, you know, we struggle a little bit because uh, we're worried about costs at that time. A lot of folks don't want to spend any money on herbicides then. Uh, a lot of people just want to wait and see where they have a problem and then spray. But um, the issue is an emergence of this ryegrass. And so, you know, we have such a long window, it seems to me, anymore of emergence patterns. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit uh, and just you know, how how has the emergence pattern of ryegrass changed over time? Uh, Charlie, I believe y'all have some data over in North Carolina we'll talk about, then I'll I'll kick it to kick it to you, Jason. Okay. Yeah. So my colleague and I have been working on ryegrass, and Wes has got some pretty cool preliminary research or preliminary data, kind of in response to just seeing a shift in the state where, you know, we typically think about a you know, a big flush of ryegrass in the fall and then when it starts to warm back up in the spring, we, we have, you know, a flush is kind of typically how we thought about it. Um, but 
we started noticing more and more problems with with ryegrass and coming up in the spring and so Wes uh, did a really cool study where he collected seed from plants that emerged in the fall and plants that emerged in the spring and then he planted them at different locations and looked at their emergence patterns and for the for the most part the majority of the seed that were collected from a mother plant that emerged in the fall those seeds emerged in the fall and then majority of the seeds that were collected from a mother plant that emerged in the spring um, also emerged in the spring. So it's kind of like whatever that mother plant did, the, the, the next generation followed suit with when they were going to emerge. And I think that's kind of played out from what we've kind of seen from complaints and also kind of just noticed in, in some observations. Okay. Good stuff. Uh, Jason, what about your experiences with that? do this stuff long enough Tom you got a lot of observations that you know maybe they're true maybe they're not data wise but so we've seen it I've seen it up as early as July and and those would be on hurricane years so when you get that you know extended period of cloudy weather cooler weather uh, not necessarily cool but cooler and you get moisture. So the two things naturally you got to have for seed to germinate, you got to have moisture uh, and you got to have the temperature right. So if you look at the old literature on ryegrass, it's going to say something like when the temperature is consistently below 90 degrees for seven, eight, 10 days, that's when you're going to see it. And so on years where we do get those rainy periods in August due to tropical weather, we can, we can get it up. Now, if it turns back dry and, you know, we get September and October or completely dry, that, a lot of that stuff is probably going to die and not cause us any problems. So the general rule of thumb is it's probably going to come start coming up around here sometime around the 1st of October. And that would be collectively over a 10-year period. You take last year right here at Stoneville, it, we went from like the middle of August to November the 7th or 8th or something. It was completely dry. We didn't get a drop of rain. So we had no ryegrass that came up that whole period. Uh, the temperatures were right, but we didn't have the moisture for it. And uh, in other places, we got some rains and it flushed on up. So, you know, that kind of early-ish fall uh, and we'll, when we've gone and monitored emergence, we have always observed a big fall flush that cuts off sometime around the middle part of December. And then if we get a spring flush, it's going to pick back up and start germinating again, ballpark of mid-February. Uh, and that's just putting everything together and putting a calendar date to it rather than a, a temperature. But what I've seen, and we were talking about earlier, Tom, that the last few years, I feel like, we are shifting more to a spring emergence. And I won't say we have more spring emergence than we have fall emergence, but we, I think we've got more spring emergence now than what we've had in years past. Uh, but if you think about it, I mean, we have been hammering this stuff with early treatments. And some years it's earlier than others. You know, we get our residuals out in the fall like we have the, the last couple of years. Years where we don't get that out, early may be December or January. It just depends on whatever hand the weather deals us. But I feel like now we're shifting more to where we see more coming up in that spring window. Generally easier to kill, kind of like horseweed. We always talk about similar concepts. 
uh, with horseweed. That's definitely not a blanket statement because uh, timing is is super critical with that. But uh, so yeah, I would say anywhere between now and the middle of March really is yeah. where we some populations at least. Now I agree. I agree with that a hundred percent. And it is such a moving target, you know, because we, on our recommendations, we recommend fall residuals. I mean, that's been the standard recommendation for many, many years now, but when you talk about, well, when do I put that fall residual out? It becomes a little more convoluted, I guess. I mean, it just becomes a little more difficult to hit that timing perfect. And so, you know, as a general rule of thumb, I think this is a good opportunity and good discussion point for us to move into to timing of these fall residuals. And then we'll talk about products here a little later. But, uh, you know, I hear you say, well, October 1, a lot of years for y'all. For us, it may shift a couple of weeks. I don't know. It depends on what part of the state we're farming in. Uh, and Charlie, for y'all over there, maybe a completely different time. But, but, uh, do we need to key this on temperature or do we need to key it? I know everybody talks about calendar dates a lot. Uh, we key on temperature. I'll talk about temperature a lot, uh, but really it depends on when we get the crops out. I think a lot of times, and there's a lot we can't do until that, you know, harvest is complete or they, you know, don't have the resources to do anything until harvest is complete. Well, I think you answered your own question, Tom. Yeah. We've talked about this, you know, different groups of people over the years, but this fall timing or really even post-harvest timing, it's every man for himself, really. If you think about weed control in the spring, burn down a side, but once we get to a crop, you know, you pick it crop, but everybody kind of runs the same series of steps. You know, the weather's going to break, it's going to warm up, dry up, and we're going to get the crop in and then spray it, whether that's a pre or a early post treatment. When you get to August and, and we start harvesting, well, then it's, it's really all over the board. You know, it's crop mix on the farm. It's how spread out the fields are. You know, is a guy farming in one big block or is he spread out across two or three counties? How much labor does he have? How much harvest equipment does he have? And it just, there's no way to put it in a box that I've ever found. And that carries on up to where we are now getting into ryegrass time. Cause you know, we got corn and, and soybean guys, they may be mostly done and doing field work, but then you got maybe a guy's corn and cotton. He, he's got his corn out, but you know, he hadn't, he hadn't picked a, a stalk of cotton yet. And the beans, you know, of course we have a, a much broader harvest window for the beans and so it's just, it's all over the board. So I've kind of stayed with that. The explanation I've always had, which is wait till the 15th of October, check the 10 day forecast. If you've got an imminent rain, you know, that big 90% chance of a four or five inch rain, you better go ahead and do it because you might not ever get back in that field, uh, particularly if it's a heavier textured soil. If it's October the 15th and there's no rain in the 10-day forecast, well, wait. Uh, and the later you wait, the better off you're going to be from a strictly considering weed control. And so if you could wait till the halfway through December, that would be beautiful. And we've had that in, in areas the last couple of years, just what the weather dictated, whether it was too dry, 
early and had to wait or it you know, got wet and dried back up, various different reasons why we've had some go out in December. But, you know, me or you or, or Charlie sitting here and telling the guy, man, if you wait till December, you're going to be better off. Well, that's not going to work because more often than not, where we are, you're not going to be able to do that. The weather's going to turn on you sometime in November, and so you better have it done uh, regardless of what the, the weed control is. And then the, the other part of that, moving from that October into November, uh, you know, it's labor and it's deer hunting and it's duck hunting and it's everything else. It's all things considered. You know, guys are just worn out by that point. They don't want to do anything else, and I don't either. There's just a lot that plays into these uh, treatments that if we could simplify it, I think we would, but I don't think the circumstances allow us to simplify it more than we already have. I, I agree. I think it's a... Uh... You know, everyone has to make the decision on when the right time is for their farm and their past experiences, I would say. And, Charlie, y'all may have a completely different opinion on waiting because if you can't kill it with anything, once it's up, uh, you're you're in trouble before you even get started there. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. And, and to be honest with you, our, we're way behind y'all on adoption of fall residuals. I mean, we're way behind y'all because we just – where we've had a, us on adoption of flat ground too. Charlie. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, where we're having a lot of our ryegrass issues, we, we, we got you know, a lot of topography and we can't have bare ground all winter. Um, and so those guys are, especially now are in, in quite a predicament with this ryegrass that we have no post option for in particular spots. So, um, you know, what we've been doing is for those guys in the Southern Piedmont that don't have a post option, um, we're trying to get them to do something before the ryegrass comes up. And, you know, we're, we're erring on the side of caution and being early. Uh, Cause again, if it comes up, we don't have an option. So, you know, the other part of that is, well, if we put a residual out there and um, that's it, then that ground's fallow and we're going to have a, lose all of our topsoil. So we, we've done some, some interesting work with incorporating those fall residuals with a cover crop. And we've seen really promising results from the cover crop in suppressing that ryegrass, cereal rye in particular. And now I'm, I'm going to, you know, give you some, some caveats here. You know, we were pushing the envelope on seeding rate. We were putting 80, 90 pounds of cereal rye to the acre. We were planting it early. We we're putting a little fertility on it, trying to maximize its competition with that ryegrass. Um, and then we, we put the, put our residuals on right behind the drill and, uh, our data says that the cover crop was more important than the fall residual. But, you know, what I, you know, what I've been telling our growers is, um, you know, we could you may, maybe plant our cover crop and wait for it to come up and spike. And then we could put our residual on spike to safen it a little bit to our cover crop. And then preferably, you know, we could hold that residual control of ryegrass a little longer and give our another competitive advantage to our cover crop versus the ryegrass so that's been something we've had to work through you know in you know kind of specifically for this paraquat resistant ryegrass and hopefully y'all guys y'all's guys don't don't get to that point but i hear that it's in louisiana so it's it's fairly close and and hopefully y'all can keep it out of mississippi and arkansas yeah well, well charlie uh i know this last fall, we did some of that planting date stuff with, with our cereal rye and looking at how it affected the, the ryegrass emergence. And as Jason said earlier, <laughs> it was one of the driest falls we've had in a really long time. And 
I had my first two cover crop planting dates basically came up and died because they ran out of moisture. And so we didn't get a lot of data with that. But I will say that later cover crop, even though the ryegrass came up at the same time, we kind of missed our window to put our residuals out because that was the first rain we got uh, basically in the fall. And, and uh, it all came up at the same time, but the numbers where we had ryegrass coming up, even though it wasn't very big, or, or cereal rye and ryegrass competition, even though the cereal rye wasn't very big, uh, we still reduced the numbers of ryegrass emergence. And so, or at least it was a lot better than just the bare ground plot next right beside it. But uh, I agree with you. I mean, we've got a lot of growers that like putting cover crops in to help us with pigweed, especially in, in a cotton system. And uh, I think we're going to have to look at earlier planting if we can on the cereal rye and then coming back with one of our residuals once we get to spiking or one leaf or something like that to help us uh, with the ryegrass issues. And so uh, we've got a, I guess we have a big project looking at that, Charlie, kind of a, a belt-wide type project looking at cover crops and ryegrass. So hopefully some good uh, data will be uh, the result of that project and, and we can get some answers uh, from that standpoint. But when we get back, we've talked about timing. Uh, we're going to get into products that we recommend in the fall for residual control. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about field prep. And, and we got a lot of questions based on your point last year, uh, Jason, that it was so dry. We got a lot of field work done. Have a lot of powder beds out there, basically, that aren't really firmed up. Uh, how do you think that affects our soil residuals when we talk about ryegrass control? What you see, Tom, often putting that residual treatment on a fluffy bed or you know fluffy seed bed, majority of ours is going to be bedded. When you get to January, February, often you'll see just a fringe of green down the shoulder of each row, and, and that's basically where that bed settled and you ended up with seed above the layer of the herbicide. I will say that this past year, uh, I expected to see more of that. I expected to see more green in January and February just because it stayed dry for so long and guys got tired of waiting and they went ahead and, and put their treatments out on, on unsettled beds a lot of times. And, and then when they did get incorporated, maybe it laid there longer than we would have wanted it to. But it really, they really worked pretty good, you know, in 22, 23. There have been years past where, you know, I've seen pretty widespread what I described to you about that that bed settling. So, uh, again, every farm is unique. Therefore, the the steps you're going to go through are unique. But in a perfect world, just thinking about weed control, if we could get that bed hit and then a, a good settling rain on it and then put the treatment out, that would be ideal. That's also depending on, you know, the later you get, that's more of a roll of the dice. And that's a lot of times we don't see as much fall residual behind cotton just because of the nature of the harvest date and, and getting that field work back up. We do percent of acres wise less field work behind cotton than we do for sure our grain crops. Uh, and then maybe even rice two percent of acres just because of the harvest date. Yeah. 
Well, and I, you know, I just know I got that question a lot last year and I, I'm with you. I'd rather that seedbed be firm before we put the herbicide out. But a lot of times we don't, we don't have that as an option. I mean, we just kind of have to, have to roll with the punches. And I think getting it out on a, on loose soil is probably getting better than not getting it out at all. And oh uh, yeah, absolutely. You, it is. you know, we just have to. Make and if you decisions. contrast, if you contrast that to the springs of like, 19, 20, and 21, uh, particularly 19 and 20, when the fall of 2018 and 19 were so wet and we basically didn't get any field work done. I mean, there was some in places, but collectively we had very little field work get done. Therefore, we were locked into doing field work in the spring, uh, you know, tillage work. So we had very little fall residual herbicide go out those two falls, and we paid for it. Uh, that ryegrass was hard to control uh, by the time we got there, and it's it's hard to disc up too. Once you once you get it dry enough in the spring that you can run a disc, you got a lot of root ball out there that you got to try to turn over and get chopped up and all that in the spring. So it's a it's a tough tough hill to climb in the spring discing it. Right. And so we know with resist, potential resistance issues, the, the fact that if we wait till the spring to do anything, we're, you know, we're starting behind the season already. We know that based on some work y'all have done in Mississippi, Jason, that yield loss, especially with the early planting grass crops like corn and rice can occur and or does occur if you plant into it. Um, and so you know, the, the key here is we've got to do something for us in the Mid-South with our early plant dates, especially. We have to do something in the fall. And I, I feel, Charlie, like in a lot of y'all situations, y'all are there too. Uh, you're in a little different situation because you just don't, you, you don't have the topography we have and, and the soil erosion is, is a bigger issue over there. But for us in the, in the Mid-South, we have to get a handle on it now. And so let's talk about products. Oh, uh, you know, we've talked about timing. Which product, what's your first go-to, Jason? I'll turn it to you first. What's your first go-to product for fall residual ryegrass control? Metolachlor, just for accessibility and price and, and performance, too. I mean, it has performed well for us over the years. But there's a lot of choices there on products, depending on the crop plan, and I know we don't always know that, but on corn and beans, something with metribuzin in it is even better, in my opinion, because we more than likely we're going to need paraquat in the fall residual treatment. And then you get the synergism with the metribuzin in that treatment. So I like the metolachlor and metribuzin. Traditionally, that's boundary, but there's a lot of retail products that have those same active ingredients in it. If we're just comparing Residual control of Italian ryegrass, tit for tat among metolachlor, zidua, or anything with pyroxysulfone, which is the active ingredient in zidua. So you got the, the Anthem products from FMC would be included there. And Command. Command is excellent. We haven't used a lot of Command for ryegrass. We have started to over the past few years. We have a 24C for it now. And it's the only treatment that we can safely uh, apply in the fall and plant rice into the following spring. So it, where a guy knows what he's going to plant, I think you can tailor that a 
little bit more, but the dual or metolachlor, residual, those are no-goes in front of rice. I mean, you might get away with it, but you also might not get away with it, and not getting away with it is going to be ugly. <laughs> That's right. So on your, if if you're just going to uh, S-Mock or s chlor, do you like a pint and a third? A pint and a third to me seems to be like a pretty good rate. Yeah, that's right. you think right. that's good or you think we should go higher than that? Well, you know, bump it up for soil texture. Right, yeah. You know, on a heavier clay soil, we go up to a pint and two-thirds. and uh, Or I, I say that, maybe a pint and a half. I don't know if we do much one and two-thirds, but a pint and a half for sure. But I think, Tom, if you knew – the rate of every field that got treated, it's going to fall somewhere between a pint, a pint, and a third. I think that pint rate is just ingrained in people's heads from the, you know, in-crop applications, and so they bring it on into the fall, too. But it's going to be, it's going to fall somewhere in that low pint rate, 1 to 1.3. Yes. All right. Well, I, I agree with all of that for sure. That's our top ones in our work, and our I will say, there's probably a lot of warrant that goes out or has in the past, but warrant, prowl, and trefland, as far as products I've evaluated over time, seem to be the, you know, ones providing less control. And we don't ever seem to make it with any of those, you know, at any length of time at all. You know, year in and year out, if you just if you did the same treatments over and over and over again, it would break out a half a step behind the dual and, and residual products, but it's solid, but we just can't incorporate it. We don't right. have the equipment to incorporate Trefland. Warrant, I had a, a master student just finishing up. We looked at his data in the past couple of weeks. Warrant just, it won't do it for us. That capsule won't release uh, timely enough. The active ingredient, acetochlor, is solid, but the formulation is not for what what we need to do on ryegrass. Yeah, and that's exactly. I, I looked at it when I was still in Virginia and Warren. I put it out pre-emergence on wheat, and it was safe to the wheat, but it didn't control the ryegrass. So, I mean, that, that it goes back to those capsules, I think, for sure. And and so we're like I said before, we're following y'all's leads on residual control. And but what I'm worried about is most of our folks are talking about the Group 15. So. Um, the esmetolachlor and the pyroxysulfone in the form of Zidual or Anthem Flex. Um, but what we're really worried about is, you know, we're using Zidual and Anthem Flex on, on a predominant, you know, a lot of, of our small grain acres for ryegrass control. And we're, we also use them a lot in our rotational crops. We're, it's just a matter of time before we have ryegrass resistance to, to that mode of action, which is really, really scary when you couple it with, you know, our four, you know, three and four way resistant um, populations to, to paraquat, glyphosate, ALS and ACCA's herbicide. So, yeah, we're, we're extremely worried about losing that valuable chemistry. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, it seems to be the solve all right now for a lot of different things for us. And I, and you mentioned the command, Jason, and we did some of that work as well. And I'm just surprised at how broad spectrum the controller command is. Oh, in it's the incredible. Fall. It's yeah. a, it's it's, it's amazing uh, for me, and and I get a lot of questions about can we put Valor in or not, you know, with our ryegrass material, and I, I always say sure you can because it is a very cheap option for broadleaf control, I guess, through the to the fall and winter, but it's not a strong ryegrass material, and I just want to get on. So record if you here. put 
if you put Duel and Valor out side by side and you just consider ryegrass and henbit, which would be our two probably driver weeds over the last five years for, for winter annuals, Valor's going to do serviceable for a while on ryegrass and Duel's going to be serviceable for a while on henbit, and that's probably going to be the first one to break on both of those. So it's not a zero, but it's also not something that you're going to go and put either one of those out for the, the other species by itself. But it's a cheap enough mix that, you know, if you are looking for broad spectrum control, then, then that's it. But a thing that I've started saying more time that I didn't say for years and years was you don't need this fall residual on every acre. We tease Charlie about topography, but we can lose a lot of soil too. And we definitely don't want to get into committing to rehipping stuff in the spring if we can help it. So I think tailor that application to where you need it. And that it's going to take some more record keeping so you know where the ryegrass is. But don't do it on every field uh, if you can help it. And particularly on sandier ground, because naturally right. the sandier it is, the more soil you're going to move around in the wintertime if it's bare ground. Well, and to be honest, we have some fields, some guys could just ring around the outside with residuals and be all right, because it seems to be moving in from the edge just about every time where we start having the issues. So a, a kicker about ryegrass, like for corn, for us, we still list it as the second worst weed for corn. That's probably debatable between it and pigweed. Uh, because we got better options right now in corn for pigweed than we do for ryegrass. But the difference between ryegrass and pigweed is if you let a bunch of pigweed go to seed one year, well, your grandkids get pigweeds, right? Ryegrass, one, it makes fewer seed. And two, I don't think the seed lasts as long in the soil. And I don't have any data to back that up. That's just observations. But the guys that we have that have got real aggressive with it, man, in two or three years, they can back way off on it to the point I can take you across the highway out here where multiple fields where years ago we did very, very good weed control plots. And those guys don't even treat ryegrass anymore. Yeah, I remember that's not, those. That's being not a because passion. we had plots there. They just they got serious about controlling it and got rid of it. Yeah, I, I remember when Poston was working on some of those fields, and I just thought they ought to just start cutting them for hay. It'd be a little better off, but yeah. a little better decision. But yeah, and your I, your observation is in line with I I had to look it up, you know, because I was just curious. And and what I found in the literature was you know sixteen seventeen months. So it it that backs up exactly what you're saying, Jason. If you can control it for two to three seasons, you should be in a lot better shape. Well, that's encouraging anyway. That's really encouraging that uh, if we can step out here and get in front of it for a couple of years, uh, that may be all we need to, to set us back at a manageable level. Probably need to wrap it up. Uh, if y'all can think of some, if a talk, you know, a key take home message, I think we're probably all in unison in this, but do you have any comments to wrap up or a key take home message for our, for our listeners out there on ryegrass management? Charlie, we'll start with you. Yeah, uh, I, one thing I think we kind of missed, and so I'll bring it up, is, you know, if we if we do miss it in the fall and we're dealing with it in the spring, you, you need to get it, get it early. Um, if, if Paraquat is still working, man, it's got to be small, um, favorable environmental conditions, the right adjuvants, et cetera. You got to hit, you got to hit everything right to get 
consistent control of ryegrass. And one of the points that Jason brought up at that that meeting that we all spoke at in Little Rock is, I mean, you, you're, you're capping control out maybe 90, 95%. Everything you do wrong brings it down another 5 to 10%. And that's exactly what we see here in North Carolina. So we've got to, you know, be diligent about knowing where it's at, how big it is, the environmental conditions, what we're putting in the tank with it, rate, et cetera. And just got to be, get it as quick as we can. Good. That's exactly right. Good, good, good points. Jason? Charlie's right. The post stuff we have is not 100% to start with, so everything he said is accurate. So my addition to that, Tom, would be that Italian ryegrass, palmer, barnyard grass, all of those top five weeds that we deal with, the easiest time to control a weed is before it ever comes out of the ground. There's definitely caveats to that, but you know, in the context of this one, in the Delta, hammer it, hammer it. Yep. Great, great points. Yeah, I agree 100% with everything y'all said. I really don't have a lot to add other than just to encourage our listeners who are out there that are dealing with ryegrass, you know, now's the time to get it on your mind. I know we're harvesting. Uh, we're still trying to get all our crops out of the field, but, you know, this is going to be on us pretty quick within another month anyway, maybe two weeks, depending on what the weather does. And so uh, we just need to get it on our mind and get a game plan and just be dedicated to doing something from a residual standpoint and getting our residuals out to, to control this ryegrass population. Well, Charlie and Jason, I really appreciate y'all joining me today uh, on the podcast. Great info. I always like getting y'all involved. Y'all are uh, always bring a lot uh, to the conversation and have a lot of excellent data in each of your respective States. And uh, we just appreciate your uh, participation on the podcast today, fellas. Appreciate you having us on. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Yeah, and and obviously we want to thank all our listeners for tuning in to the Weeds Are Wild podcast series on Arkansas Row Crops Radio.